Hello, and welcome back to the Who's On Worst podcast. Uh, We've been away a while, but we haven't forgotten you, and we have not stopped watching terrible, terrible baseball movies. Um, So as that is our gift to you on a regular basis, we have returned triumphant uh, just as the season begins to wind down, and we will be talking to you this week about Angels in the Outfield. Um, We have obviously previously discussed some classic children's fare, such as Air Bud, Seventh Inning Fetch, and Rookie of the Year. Um, But as always, I am joined by my co-host, Darby Robinson, and our wonderful producer, Brett Rutherford. Uh, So Darby, why don't you tell us a little bit about Angels in the Outfield? Thank you, Ashley. Yeah, Angels in the Outfield, and we're to two clarify this is not the 1950s uh, <laughs> kind of black and white musical comedy. Uh, this is the Disney-fied uh, 1990s um, what, yeah, 1990s uh, children's shenanigan film? I don't know. It's it a very there's, not there's, a feel-good film. <laughs> it is darker than you, I remembered. Um, it's not particularly funny i mean maybe for like little little kids it's yeah it's more of like a a weird dramedy like very sappy over the there's a there's a lot we'll get into that because there's obviously a huge amount of religious allegories there's a lot of like really big melodrama but as we're going to start it off like we always do let's do the quick rotten tomatoes synopsis for this film um foster kid roger played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, loves the Anaheim Angels, even though they're the worst team in the major leagues. His estranged dad promises to reunite the family. The Angels make it to the World Series, so Roger decides to ask for some divine help and prays that his favorite team will turn things around. Soon, a real angel named Al, played by Christopher Lloyd, shows up in response to Roger's prayers and Anaheim's hopeless coach, Danny Glover is shocked to see his team on a winning streak. Angels in the outfield. That does sum it up. Yeah. Um, I would like to point out quickly though, that this movie features an absolute bombardment of, Hey, this guy's in that movie. We got Dermot Mulrooney playing mm-hmm. um, Roger's dad, obviously Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Roger in a, before he was a star kind of move. This was before um, Third Rock from the Sun, which I think was his really big break. So this was kind of the, the beginning of the Joseph Gordon-Levitt legacy. Matthew McConaughey. Uh, is one of the titular angels in the outfield, not to be mistaken for one of the actual angels, but he is one of the players. Adrian Brody Oscar. is in this. We have multiple Oscar winners and multiple nominees. Oscar winners yeah. and nominees kicking around. Danny Glover, obviously. But yeah, it's wild how many famous people are in this movie as a like before they were stars kind of thing. Yeah, it's a power-packed cast a shockingly power-packed cast and the director William Deere is you know he had some pretty strong kids movie fare he did Henry Harry and the Hendersons and the Rocketeer Rocketeer which is one of my favorite kids movies also a Disney kind of class I don't know if it's a class it kind of became a cult classic not really so much didn't really do I think super well for them but he was uh you know kind of a proven uh good steady hand there so all the pieces were in place for I think a a pretty strong movie and the the concept itself I think is somewhat kind of 
interesting, right? Like some sort of weird magical thing that helps this hapless team succeed. But overall, it's a very weird, it's a very weird movie. This is a very, I just don't know. I didn't really get a lot from this movie. Like I didn't feel a lot. And I, I don't know. It just, it, whatever they were trying to do just didn't land with me personally. No, it, it feels like it's supposed to be a lesson movie. Like it feels like there's supposed to be some sort of broad strokes, life learned sort of situation that we're supposed to take away from this with like, especially I think, and spoiler alert, if you don't want to be spoiled to the ending of a movie that was released in 1994, why are you listening to our podcast? Um, <laughs> Obviously, it comes down to it at the end where where Al tells, Ra- I don't know why I want to call him Ralph, Roger, that the Angels can only help in the regular season. But to, to postseason play is out. Um, God God has no hand when it comes to helping the postseason. The rules, <laughs> which honestly, feels, the rules are so nebulous with these Angels. They really are picking and choosing. very real if you've ever watched baseball as a fan because the gods do true. not care how you feel in the postseason. But yeah, that's the big thing, right? You're, and, and I guess when they do the, you know, there's an angel with you right now and the whole stadium gets up and it's meant to be this, you know, the power was in you all along sort of thing. But it's very heavy handed. Like it's, I think it's meant to be sweet, but they really lay it on thick. I think especially when right before that, Al tells Roger that Tony Danz is going to die in like six months. That came like, out of nowhere. They field, drop. Yeah. They drop that right on, like, he, like the drama was high enough. Like, we have yeah. our stakes, right? They're, they're just, like, talking about how, like, the angels are hanging around. Uh, so, yeah, Tony Danza, also in this movie, playing Mel Clark, who's this aging, very battered, you know, pitcher who's, like, just kind of give it one last go. We, you know, if we're really comparing, you know, children's movies, Rookie of the Year has the same thing, where you have this older, gruff, you know, the rocket type of guy who's just trying to get one last, you know, kind of go around, you know, leave it all on the mound. But yeah, they're just basically talking about how the angels sort of show up to scout him because he's got terminal, he's got some sort of terminal disease. He just like lung cancer or something because he coughed a lot. Oh yeah, it's true. Something. Yeah, I don't he did. Know. No, it's honestly nothing, no movies work well right now with like coughing as like a sign of some sort of hidden illness. It's not <laughs> oh, a great, no. it's not, it's, they, they didn't know what they were doing in 94, but it's like, ugh, I don't love it. Yeah, he's got a terminal illness, probably cancer. He's about to die. And the angels know that he will die in six months. So they know the deaths. They know when everybody's death time is. And they're basically like scouting him out to become another angel, like a sport angel it's weird and it's just like wow holy crap like what a what a heavy like this is a children's movie yeah it's a lot it is a lot to just throw out there and you don't i don't think you need to you could sort of say like they're sort of scouting for like his like eventual you know just don't say say angels but we can't participate postseason. You know, it's got to be up to you guys. End of story. This movie yeah. was so laden with tragedy. It was unreal. Like, it's... you've got your central kids or two foster kids. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I think, and I don't remember 100%, but I think Roger's mom had died. And obviously, his mom was, his dad was kind of a useless. Yeah, you know, Dermot Mulroney of... doesn't have a lot of scenes in this movie, but like every scene he's in. is what he's a, the he's worst. A... 
Like, what an yeah. absolute piece of shit. The Rotten Tomatoes write-up gives the indication that he's like, yeah, son, if the angels win, we'll be a family again. But that's not it. It's, it's like very dismissive. It's like, hey, dad, when are we going to be a family again? He's like, you know, when fuck pigs fly. Like, it's it's yeah. not <laughs> meant to be. But as a kid, you're like, oh, okay, well, let's. this is the one thing that can do it. So let's go. Mm-hmm. Cause um, so he his two scenes are him basically being like, I'm gonna go ride my motorcycle and and take off. It's like, when are we gonna be a family? Like, I don't know, when the angels win the pennant, sure, whatever. And like that's his like, you know, flipping thing. And he rides off. And then the next time you see him is at like the court hearing where he's basically like, I give up, I renounce all rights. This kid is nothing to me. And then yeah. doesn't even speak with him, just walks right past. It's like brutal. Dermot Mulrooney. <laughs> horrible and the other oh my cute God. little kid like what's his buddy's name like i want to say jp but it's like what it's, is his friend uh name? yeah it's uh jp mm-hmm. is it really did i actually remember that got right? jp yeah wow i mean i realize it's two letters and like i should not pat myself on the back for this but i just called this kid like i called him ralph three seconds ago so are we letting our listeners in on the secret that we watched this movie months ago and we're now <laughs> just recording well, so anybody who knows the last time, the last episode we released was The Fan. And I think that's been, what, like three, two months, three months since that came out. And initially, our intention had been to do a double feature, like a double header recording session of Angels in the Outfield and The Fan. And you're welcome. We recorded The Fan and we had the wonderful little cameo podcast insert there. And mm-hmm. it was a ton of fun. But um, we have not watched Angels in the Outfield since June um ish it was sounds about right there was a big there was a big issue with this movie of finding it at the time which was really strange because i i really still i think like it's yeah so we i was like okay we'll do a movie because we we we've been picking these movies and a lot of them are really obscure and hated movies so they like aren't available everywhere like nobody's buying the rights for them to show them uh except for showtime it seems with a lot of these movies so i don't know I don't know what show, Showtime is buying them in the bargain bin. But this movie, I was like, oh, it, it's a Disney movie. Obviously, it'll be great. When the time we tried to watch this, we could not find this anywhere. Like, I scoured the internet. I looked at every streaming site. Every re- There was no rental available. There was no streaming available. I checked sites of less than... On on front origin, of ill repute. Nothing, nothing there. I, I don't think the feds are going to be knocking on your doors, Darby, anytime soon. I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> even if I wanted to. It was crazy. I was like, "There's not even you could not watch this movie anywhere." It was remarkable. I was like, "How is this this scrubbed from existence?" Um, and then eventually, we did find like a, somebody had uploaded it to YouTube, and I was able to watch it via that way. But then in the couple of days before for you guys watch it, it then disappeared from there. So I think, Ashley, you tried to, you got it from like the I library. I took it from the library. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I forwarded like, it from the Winnipeg Public what? Library. Yeah. Shout out, shout uh, out to the Winnipeg Public Library. Shout for, out WPL for making this podcast possible. Good job. Yeah. I think Turner had the cable uh, rights for it at the time. So I was able to watch it on the TNT app with ads. Uh, we all 
got to watch it just in very, very uh, peculiar ways. By far the hardest movie we've had to like, most of these, you know, you just, it's just like you rent it, it's right there, boom, you know, whatever. Amazon's got everything. Yeah. You can just rent it, like two bucks and you're in. But like this movie, for some reason, totally scrubbed from the internet. Uh, it's, it was a, it was a strange one, right? So it's, but I was sorry, I was just going to say about JP, because we we're talking about tragedy, right? That JP, the backstory they give him is that him and his mom were like living in the front seat of her car. And like, I, th- I think it was heavily indicated that she had a bit of a drug problem. Like it was, it's dark. You did not need to add Tony Danza has cancer and is going to die in six months. This movie had enough hardship going for it. Like, it's a, ridiculous. it's a, it's a rough, it's a rough one. Um, It's got uh, the... Speaking of like other like talent, the foster mom of the two is uh, it for uh, from other classic kids movies, uh, Home Alone Two, the Pigeon Lady. Uh, she she appears there. Fantastic job in both as like a very warm and nurturing and and kind of positive I, care, positive light in a yeah. deeply depressing and sad children's movie. It was one of the few notes I made that wasn't just like a joke about something when I I made notes on this is that she was just a genuinely lovely foster mom. Like they could have easily turned that on its head and been like, oh, foster mom has change of heart, decides to keep the kids. Mm -hmm. Or they could have done the really cliched thing and made her super awful. Like she was only in it to like, you know, rake in the government checks and didn't care about the kids. But it was very apparent that she like really did care about each of the kids under her care and wanted to make sure that they found families and really, I think, tried to help them understand very difficult things that were happening. Like she was there for Roger when his dad gave up all the rights and she was the one giving him hugs at the end. And um, I think that particular role was beautifully handled because I think it, it did give a, a glimpse into what good foster parents are. And that's a, no, not necessarily a rare thing, but it's a rare thing in media. Mm-hmm. And it was a nice change of pace to see that. I think the individual actors in this movie did a pretty good job. Uh, I think there's definitely some standouts. Obviously, Joseph Gordon-Levitt was a tremendously talented, like, kids actor. Like, he is incredible. And there's a reason. I mean, like, he he got his start uh, as a kid actor. And, and that's, like, where, you know, most of America fell in love with him. And he's been, a, you know, a tremendously successful actor ever since he's like, you can tell like this, this is a star. Like this is an absolute star. He is crushing it at a very young age. What I was really surprised by was looking in uh, to his friend, JP uh, played by Milton Davis Jr. He never really did anything after this. He, he, he like did not, act, he was sensational. JP was, he was the cutest. Yeah. Oh my God. Every scene, JP is adorable. He steals it. And that's the thing. I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt's performance in this is very earnest. Like it's very, it's earnest and it's, it's aching and he wants to prove things to people and he wants to help. And he, he wants all of that where JP is just this like precocious scene stealing, (laughs) charming entity. Like I think one of my first notes on this was like, Oh my God, this other kid is a, adorable and then yeah when you get to the the end again spoilers um danny glover's manager character comes to adopt roger and is like hey well i'm gonna take you on full time and we're gonna maybe try to make a family and i'm sitting there and i'm like you am you do not take this other kid 
I'm going to climb into that TV and punch you in the face. You cannot do this to me. Like I you're, you're going to send a yet, letter to and yet, present day Danny Glover to be like, yeah, how dare you? I'd first of be all, like, damn it, Danny, what the hell? You can't leave this adorable little kid behind. Cause I'm sitting there and I'm like, no recollection of watching it as a kid. And I'm like, this is the greatest outrage in the history of cinema. And then of course it's just like, Okay, psych, but wow, what a mean thing to do to JP, because it was really built up in that scene. Like, hey, Roger's going home. Roger's got a family. And you see this poor kid sitting there going, well, um, I've been to all of the games. I have also bonded with this man. Um, what, what am I, like chopped liver? And I'm like, oh, you monsters. And then obviously it's like, oh, of course JP can come. And I'm like, mm, I feel like that's not how adoptions work, but okay. Um, <laughs> like, like it's not like, it's not like going to like the Humane Society and being like, oh, look, these, these kittens are a bonded pair. I will take both of them. <laughs> you get um, both. Yeah. Like I, JP I feel like you likes can. nachos and Coke. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't like anyway. keeping control of them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh god that poor assistant or what was yeah like taylor negron of, uh, his whole role is basically just getting uh spilled on by, yeah. by JT. Like the, the team's pr agent or something mm-hmm, i think that mm-hmm. was his quick side note on taylor negron uh who the late mm-hmm. Ta- taylor negron who passed a few years ago uh i think one of the reasons is a lot of these movies these older movies like like the biggest example is rookie of the year we actually did think it was a fine movie. It's not the best movie ever, but for me, it packed like that nostalgic punch. I watched it a ton as a kid. I didn't watch Angels in the Outfield maybe more than once or twice as a kid, and I think maybe one of the like subconscious reasons is Taylor Negron. Again, no disrespect to the late Taylor Negron. His face kind of creeps me out, and his face and his long hair. Uh, he could very easily, and maybe he has in his filmography, played some villainous characters. Uh, in in children's movies, uh, but for some reason, I don't know. I, I definitely, as a kid, his face would have creeped me out. He's got that character actor face, like what? Because I never knew his name, mm-hmm. but he's a hundred percent one of those guys where you see him and he's like, "Oh, that guy!" Like he's the oh, absolute yeah. classic character actor. And like I'm looking through his his he he was in like a million credits. Absolutely, he's been a in so much stuff, and he's got like you definitely recognize him. He was in like a Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen TV show, the So Little Time series. Um, yeah, he he does a great job as like you know the full comedic relief, and uh, and and like we said, like all the all the side characters do a really interesting job. One of the things that I I again I similar to Brett, I did not watch this movie a ton as a kid. I think I watched it like once, and I just didn't like it. I think as a kid, I watched Rookie of the Year like constantly as as a kid. So this one was definitely did not have those like nostalgic feels. So I think that definitely hurts it because, you know, watching it now as a grown adult, it's like pretty schmaltzy in a lot of ways. Uh, the, I was kind of surprised that there's no, like, there's a, you have a lot of really interesting side characters, right? I mean, like we mentioned, like there's, you know, you have like Neil McDonough, Adrian Brody, Matthew McConaughey, Tony Danza as the, the, the players in there. And they, you know, aside from Tony Danza, they don't really get much to, you know, do. You have Adrian Brody is, has like a couple of lines. Matthew McConaughey is like a line. Um, Neil McDonough just has gets to like look bewildered a lot. Goofy stuff. Matthew McConaughey's whole role is to just look yeah. bewildered by things. Yeah. Uh, Neil McDonough has at least some, he has some definitely quirky. He's playing kind of like the Brickma type of like quirky pitcher. Um, uh, but, you know, it's, I was kind of surprised that we don't really get a, a lot of like, 
I think a film like this really does rely would would benefit strongly from getting to to know like the team a little bit better yeah. or getting to know the angels a bit better like the actual like as opposed to just Al. supernatural it's beings. All, yeah, they really are just like they float in on the screen and then they, they leave. No, and you they have no go. character or role. And no so names. At, the, at the end of the movie, when we are told that Tony Danza, um, Mel, Mel Clark, is about to die and he's going to become one of these angels, that would have been a cool thing if you set it up where each of these angels was like an old player or something. You know, you'd have like your shoeless Joe Jackson or your, yeah. you know, like, uh, like, you know, actually have these characters who like, you could have them all make believe, you know, baseball players, but you'd have these like old baseball players that still get to, you know, enjoy the game yeah. because this is what they do. And they, and they help people who like deserve that help. I think for me, the biggest problem is that the character, there's no characters there and there's no, I really wanted to set up some rules because it just feels like uh, Al, the, the head angel by Christopher Lloyd is just like, he's just making stuff up as he's going along. He's just like, yeah, we can help now. Now we can't help because of this rule. And it's just like, I want to, I need like a like a three simple rules at the beginning so I can set up and know like what I'm expecting. And uh, I just think it was kind of it kind of like fell flat. Now everything with um Christopher Lloyd is tremendous. I mean Christopher Lloyd what a like again charisma through the roof does a fantastic job. Him and Joseph Gordon-Levitt cuz that's the only character that he interacts with. Yeah fantastic chemistry. Like that all works. I just would have liked to see maybe a little bit more of that or more characterization in the film him stealing the american league umpire's cap to be like i'm al that was a great moment um very kind of charming nod to to a real thing obviously um which i quite liked um but yeah it's you're right because the only character we're really given any depth with on the team is danny glover's manager character and he's a like he is terrible for about 75% of the movie. Like he'll slowly kind of grudgingly accept Roger's input. And he obviously like brings him to games and listens to him, but there's nothing altruistic about that. He wants to win games and he thinks this mm-hmm. kid can give him some kind of inside track on that. And then slowly, obviously learns to develop. But like when they have the photo shoot at the beginning, he thinks the kid's mentally unstable. And he's like, get this kid out of here. <laughs> Like he he's and he's gruff and he's mean to his players and he's not a likable guy. Terrible manager. Also, from what everything we've seen, absolutely terrible manager. Yeah. Like coming out mid at bat to like, you know, and his players don't seem to understand that when a manager takes the field that they're they're going to be done for the day. Like there's some really goofy baseball anachronisms in here that show that either the screenwriters didn't understand how management works or the, the manager in the game didn't understand how baseball works. It's yeah, it's super, it's, it's really weird. He, him and Tony Danza too have this like weird relationship where it's like, he like is actively bullying like uh, Mel Clark. And it's like this weird, like vendetta where he's like, he's like, I'm healthy. He's just like, you know, you're you're a real piece of crap, Mel. I mean, he'll never pitch you. You you suck. You're washed out. It's just like, what yeah, is Yeah, you could be the last pitcher on earth and I'd never let you start a game. Like, this, is, thing. Like, this is some toxic, toxic yeah. uh, locker room. Like, this is their problem right here. Uh, <laughs> and it's, it's a very, it's very odd. Like, I think, um, I mean, Danny Glover does a good job 
with that, but it's like a very strange character. And he's very much Danny Glover. Like Danny Glover is one of those actors I think that has a really hard time being a character as opposed to being the actor. Um, Mm. You know, there's guys like that, like Will Smith. I'm never going to believe him absorbing into a role. He's always going to be Will Smith. Ryan Reynolds, same idea. <laughs> like he's never going to be anything other than Ryan Reynolds. And I think Danny Glover very frequently is that kind of actor where it's like he's Danny Glover. So at that same time, when the character's being a dick, it's really hard for you to commit to buying him as a dick because he's Danny Glover, right? So mm-hmm. you know, just because of the sheer presence of someone as likable as that, that by the end of this movie, you're going to like his character because right. that's just. You can't, I think maybe once, I don't know. And I feel like I'm making this up just for the sake of argument. He might've played like a killer in a movie. And I was like, whoa, what happened there? But like, it's, I, I, I don't think you could put him in a movie and have people buy him as a villain. No, my biggest struggle with this movie is that it is just a very strange and nebulous plot, not plot, but like theme or like, there is a lesson you mentioned, right? That's like the whole lesson of like believing yourself, I think is what it's going on. Cause you know, at the end, you know, Mel Clark is like gutting out a really tough, you know, performance. hundred and fifty-six pitches. Ter- terrible managing. Again, terrible managing. He's blowing his arm out. Uh, I, I, I like kept track. They like literally mentioned how like Mel Clark is tiring like six times or yeah. eight times like throughout the thing. And it's like he's been like tiring since the fourth. Like for Christ, he's, he's been up. retiring since like four years previous in it's his career. If we're being crazy, um, but like he's he's up, he's like gutting it out, and the whole like you know kind of ending thing is that you know he has now an angel with him is is cool. kind of the, yeah. the the little lie to kind of say like to to do it, but he actually doesn't. It's all him. He does that himself, and that gives him the power to believe. But I don't know if that's really like the it, that's a moral of the movie, but it's a very, like, that's not the thing. I guess the whole thing is like getting the team to play together and commit together, but that's also super nebulous. I wish there was more of like a, like a real, like, I think the ending with the, like creating a family and like yeah. striving for family is that makes a lot of sense. So I think if you could have made it more like that, where like the team starts very much at odds with each other, everybody hates each other. And the angels kind of help to bring the, like the good spirit of like, you're winning, but you're also now getting to know each other and bond yeah. with each other. That could have maybe like tied into that final theme of finding like your family, your family, family is who you, who you find it's a really wonderful trope. Like you see it a lot in fiction and it is a very popular trope. The idea of like family is what you discover. And I think we could have probably seen them take a track like we saw with rookie of the year where maybe there was like, um, you know, a team owner and he was kind of thinking of passing it on to his son, but he doesn't think his son really loves baseball. And they like really come together and bond over this team coming together and winning. Like there's a lot of ways I think you could have layered that, like how the team start to trust and rely on each other and, and have these kids kind of bond together and bond with the manager and, and really like tie that all nicely. And that was why Al was there. And that's why, you know, the angels were there instead of just like, when you think about it, what was the point of having them win the pennant? If they didn't actually answer the core 
root of the prayer. Like, yes, doesn't. when we're going to be a family again, again, he is in a family at the end. I get it. Mm-hmm. But it's not, you know, it's not quite. It doesn't it's, cleanly land. And that's why I think there's like this kind of empty feeling there, which is why are the angels there? It doesn't really kind of come in. And the the team does eventually, you know, have this scene. So the main antagonist of the movie, the main like kind of crux against the movie, besides uh, Dermot Mulroney <laughs> just being a jerk, um, there's this, uh, basically the villain of the movie is Michael Kay of, of the Yes Network, because it's a very weird, like he is the announcer for the team and like a like journalist slash radio host elsewhere. So like similar to, not to say Michael Kay is a villain. I'm saying like that character where it's like you both work for the team, but then also for like local, like New York radio, this, this character is sort of a ranch wilder. Great, great broadcast name. Uh, He is both the team's like radio broadcaster, TV broadcaster, as well as like a journalist. He is kind of the, he is the main antagonist. He's like a real jerk blowhard. And he doesn't like uh, Danny Glover's character, George Knox. He uh, is actively trying to sabotage him. Um, And the, eventually what he, how he like kind of the main, like a kind of problem is that he uh, finds out from from the kids that like they are seeing real angels and that George Knox believes in that. And that's why the angels are winning. And then, and then that means that then the owner gets upset and he's going to fire him. And then he has to have a press conference where he denounces that all of this though, I have to say is one of the stupidest plot points. Like I know it's a kid's movie, but this is one of the stupidest plot points I've ever seen. Like, why would anybody believe this This absolutely stupid idea? Like, why would this announcer be like, the kids say that there's physical, real, supernatural beings helping this baseball team win? And this manager, you have to deny it. It's like, wh- who cares? What is happening? Why is anybody believing this? There's two foster kids believing this. What is wrong with you? <laughs> what is wrong with you? Who is doing Let's this? Let's take... Let's take a quick break and let's get back into that point and the discussion of that press conference when we get back. So as Derby pointed out before we took a break, um, yeah, there's this kind of ridiculous subplot. And I made a note on this saying that if I had only watched this movie, I would never in a million years want to become a baseball reporter. Um, Because, wow, like if this is like shaping your future and your decision making as a child, um, I would definitely not be where I am today. Um, But yeah, so there is like this weird subplot of of this overheard suggestion that it's real angels and that's doing the thing. Could you, I just, I want you to imagine for one moment reading something from like Mark Topkin <laughs> in in Jeff, the Jeff Passan breaking, yeah. breaking a tweet. Yeah. Ken Rosenthal on the athletic is giving us insight into an, a baseball manager who believes in angels. And I grant you, there was a Brit Giroli article last week about how deep breathing has changed the entire Red Sox outlook on baseball on the athletic. So like strange things have occurred in baseball writing. I it's a long season. I grant you, we need to come up with article ideas somewhere. But like, 
if you were to read from a serious baseball beat writer slash, you know, primary voice of the team, something as truly absurd as what this guy goes out there, writes an article on, it would not be the manager or the children being laughed at because of that article. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Like I, I have these notes. Why is anybody believing this absurd story? Why would they believe the radio guy? Why would they need to fire the manager? Why would they believe a strange child claiming to see angels? Like what, what in the world is going on here? Why would anybody believe any of this? Well, and even if they did, it's not like he believes that demons are helping. Like in a fundamental, yeah, I say this as, as a pagan, but like, this is a very largely Christian society, right? So yeah. for anybody to come out and say, you know, like, I believe that angels, like, this is a team where everybody hitting home plate after a home run grabs the cross around their neck, kisses their fingers and looks to Jesus as a thank you for that yeah. home run. And we're supposed to believe that anybody would have a fundamental issue with ah, angels. I believe in those. Okay, cool. I mean, Are they winning games? Is the team going to go to the World Series? Awesome. Who cares what you believe? I mean, in? like faith is a big part of sports. I mean, like yeah. that's a huge part of sports. Like people express their faith in a lot of different ways. People have all sorts. Like there is, it's absurd that like you would you would basically. I feel like this radio broadcaster slash reporter would be like in a lot of trouble for pretty discriminatory and weirdly bigoted, like anti faith, like. Like, it's a very strangely, like, take, right? Like, okay, you can question maybe the sanity of the manager, but, like, all he heard was a story where the kids were saying that they see real physical angels, right? And then that's helping them win. And the manager looks to the other kid to see, like, when there's there's angels, like, physically there. It's, like, such a straight... Like, you would read it and be like, oh, so, you know, George Knox is, like, he is finding his inner peace through his like Christian faith. That's yeah. what I would be like. This is a weird thing that he's like going off of, but okay. That's, that's maybe helping him be a better manager. Cause he's calmed down, whatever physical or non-physical manifestation, whatever faith versus non thing it's, it's just the same. Like it, it doesn't, uh, it's not weird. It's not even that weird. Like I just, it's a strange, it's a really, 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 really strange plot point that is the entire like, like anti thing. Like that's the entire like obstacle to get over. Yeah. I mean, we're, that. we're talking about a sport where in one season, the Mets used to hand around a giant dill to different players every single game. Like you could tell me a manager had crystals in his office that he like charged via moonlight on games after his team won by a large margin, hoping that those crystals would help bring positive energy to his team. And I'd be like, rad. What are wasn't the Jason Giambi wearing, uh, wearing like a Gabe Kapler thing. Like it's like Jason Giambi wore a a thong as like a good luck charm for like a, like a hot streak when, when he was at the Oakland A's kills me about this particular plot, because what sport ever is more superstitious than baseball 
Like it's it's like the opposite of in Major League, where with, with like you know Joe Boo and like the whole idea of like he is tapping in like every at bat he's he's talking to his you know preferred deity to yeah. like appease like that and it makes in that movie you're like makes sense let's try to do whatever we can for Joe Boo to like to help our bats and it's like, like that baseball embraces this. Tell me in honesty, and we are all very big committed baseball fans here, if something came out that a manager believed angels were responsible for helping the team win. And the team was in fact winning and on their way to the postseason. Tell me what baseball team on this planet would not start selling plushed angels, doing an angel wing giveaway at the gate, doing like halos out to everybody when they're coming in First 10,000 guests, get a light up halo. Let's go. Like baseball embraces the stupid and the absurd in ways that no other sport does. Like we're talking about a team where Tops has a rally squirrel card and the Angels have the rally monkey in real exactly. life. Exactly. Like you cannot tell me that a team would be like, oh, this manager has got to go. They would be like, how do we make money on this? Rotoware and Breaking Tea would be busting out fresh merch. Like it's it's not realistic to believe that this is the path this would take because baseball loves the stupid and the inane way too much to not just grab this. Like Brett, like Brett said, it's a long season. Like you, yeah. you need, you need stuff. You need some weird quirky stuff. So back into the movie, this story, um, this story basically means that now George Knox, Danny Glover, is in the hot seat. And the owner of the Angels is hyper furious about this story. Why? I have no idea. And he's like, you have to uh, basically like denounce this or you or and we're, and we're going to like we're going to fire you basically. And then that leads to a big press conference where Danny Glover was a very emotional scene. Like uh, this is one of the few points in this movie where I actually cried um, because it's, it's it's that Rudy moment, right? Yeah. Yeah. It gets the family thing where all of his players stand up and it's like, I don't want to play for anybody, but you know, George George Knox. Yeah. And like, that's, and it's like, this is this great moment. And he, I thought the speech, I, I don't have a lot of it written down, but like, I thought actually Danny Glover, I mean, this is where you get to like, let Danny Glover cook a little bit, you know, you have a really good actor. So it's like, here we need an emotional point. You've been kind of just like a one note, like angry man character, but like, let's, yeah. let's let Danny Glover, you know, do some work and uh, let's get ISO ball on Danny Glover and let him, let him go nuts. And he does a great job. And it talks about like how, he he actually balances a pretty cool thing. So like he hasn't physically seen any of these angels. He is entirely going off of what this small child has told him. But he knows that the team is winning and things are going well and whatever whatever is working. And so he sort of talks about how like this like his this faith like I don't know what it is. I don't know exactly what's going on. But I just believe that you know we can use this like this good feeling and this emotion and people like working together. And it, it's like this really like, Oh, that makes total sense. And in that situation, you would be like, as like the owner, first of all, that's where you should have been at the beginning. But two, like the next scene is like, you fire that 
person because you can't let that guy represent your team because he just like dragged this out. And it's it's such a it's a good scene. It's a really good scene. Um, but it's such like a strange like thing to overcome because like everybody would be like, yeah, sure, whatever. I don't know. Everything's working. What what is wrong? Like I don't get it. I don't get where this is a challenge to overcome. But he does overcome it, and they're you know everything's good. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's a really, it's a, a good scene. Like it's, a, the, aside from the absurdity of being in that particular position, which should never happen. And mm-hmm. like the crux behind it is it does play well emotionally. And you're right. It is, it feels earned, even though I don't think they've given us enough backstory of any of those characters or the dynamic between them, but because there's stakes on the line and him losing his job and thusly the season being in peril because of it. And obviously we don't know it yet, but the risk of, of Roger and JP losing their, their new father um, as all part of that is that I think it does play to a point where it's like, okay, well this feels meaningful and it feels like something has happened in a positive way. Um and it is. It did make me cry. I was. I was a little bit cheery. There was, there was some mist. Yeah, and yeah, it was. It was solid. So, with that out of the way, comes to the next sort of thing, which is still like the on the field baseball. And so, um, you get you get all sorts of all sorts of good slapstick baseball throughout the movie, with angels assisting things and and weird craziness and and quirky fun stuff that like starts like the winning streak and overall like this movie has some of the most aggressively 90s special effects you could imagine it is very like they were pulling out all of the tricks from the early like what final cut to uh like box they were just like bam late like stars like we're gonna make a shimmer like oh here we go like let's gonna do a, a chroma key and mat it over and it's they were everything they were like i got look at all these things i could do let's let's do them all um but it, it's which is very shocking again this is a disney property that had a pretty good amount of money behind it and you're just like look at that and you're like Why? this is the same company that did like fantasia like 30 years before this how is this yeah. look so like cheesy and air bud-esque in some places but uh you know, I guess it 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 doesn't it doesn't look great in the 2021 viewing. No, not maybe the it worked better current, in the 90s. <laughs> not through the lens of current media by any stretch. Um, yeah, it's it's rough. It's got those things, you know, people being blown back by pitches, and you uh-huh. know, the, mm-hmm. it it defies physics on every possible level, and it doesn't even like look semi-realistic but my favorite thing about it in retrospect especially having rewatched it is that when anything really ridiculous happens in real baseball now i i love being able to pull out a this is some real angels in the outfield nonsense yeah Yeah. like fernando tatis jr had a wonderful catch earlier this season where it looked like he double jumped Mm -hmm. like he just like got that extra leverage and i'm just like oh oh i see some wings i know what's happening because that doesn't work that's not how baseball functions so there's in the in the film there's a catch from matthew mcconaughey's character where he like runs and he's not going to get it and then the angel like he like jumps 
Two of them, I think, pick him up and like. And they pick him up on the shoulder and they like carry him. And it's just like a nice little wire work, like carried like 50 yards away. And uh, yeah, it's like a very funny, goofy thing. But then, you know, baseball does have some weird stuff. Like like, he's saying, we have catch probability for a reason, right? So it's, you know. Some of the things they help with, though, are like really funny because I I, I mentioned so you have um, Adrian Brody's character, Danny Hammerling, who's this like tiny little like scrawny guy. Like they they like help him out with like the bat. They're like helping bat for him, and like the best they got for him was like an infield single. Like they're like we're gonna use divine magic powers, and we're gonna give you like a like a squib hit, and there you go. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah, That's wait, your Matthew McConaughey is getting like like thrown all over the field to catch balls and he's to like Kiermaier out everywhere. And uh, poor little Adrian Brody's like, here is a squib single for you. <laughs> Enjoy. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a little uneven. I think at one point they like Al like changes where the foul pole is. Like yep. Pulls the yeah. foul pole back the foul to like, pole. yeah. Cause I feel their, like you'd see that happen. I don't their know. abilities <laughs> are very overpowered. Um, but like they, it's, they don't always use it. My, my favorite though, angel thing was the, um, umpire argument, the umpire manager argument where again, very funny physical, like nonverbal comedy, but with like, um, Christopher Lloyd basically taking the, the, the angry umpire versus manager thing and then changing it at the end of like, to a nice, like happy, like I, Thank you for that great tough call, and I appreciate you. Have a great day, but like still with the angry intonations. So and, uh, that's that's based really in reality because, and I can't remember which manager it was, but I remember reading a story ages ago about a manager who came out to like get into it, get into the face of an umpire, and by the time he'd gotten to the umpire, he realized he was wrong. Um, but he was already out there and he's like, look, and he's like all furious faced with the umpire. He's like, look, you made the right call, but I'm already out here. So I need you to play along with this nonsense. And the umpire's like, I understand. And if you just want to do this for a minute, we can. And they like, so I, I, I'll have to refine this story, but that is like a hundred percent something that has absolutely happened in real life. And you just have to kind of save face and go out there and like, look good for the team. Like you're, you know, picking yeah. a fight, but yeah. Uh, yeah, that's I, I get a giggle out about. It's still that's the little angels out there. That's Christopher Lloyd just changing yeah. things up, and, just making uh, make, turn that frown upside down. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I think overall the film, you know, the angels get um, you know Mel Clark, which is a great game. He finishes it off. The angels are gonna go and win the pennant, and the kids get adopted and happily ever after. In the end, it's. It it just like there's some scenes that that work. You know, the ending is you know is nice and emotional where they get adopted by Danny Glover. It's really sweet, and the 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 press conference scene I thought really worked. But overall, it's just a very it's just it just feels like a little empty as a film, yeah. and it's a it's very strange because it is obviously about physical angels. So you are you're talking about something like things uh, found in the, the Christian faith, but the movie is more like faith based than like Christian based, which is, which I, I found kind of interesting. Like a lot of it is about like just spirituality in general. Yeah. And it just so happened with, you know, just for Levitt's character, he, his spirituality is like, you know, Christian, but like, there is a lot of just 
sort of talking about uh, like believing in something bigger than yourself and believing in something that's more than what you can see, which is an interesting topic if you explored it more, but they just sort of like kind of, they kind of just like dabble in it and then they kind of move on. So I think that could have been something more if you had a care, like if you made that like the central crux, um, I just think it's a little, it just overall, I feel like the movie is a little light. It's a little like empty calories. And that's where I, that's why I just, I don't think this movie stands up very well in the, in the pantheon of like kids movies and really rare for like Disney to have such a, like, and I think that's why like we couldn't find it anywhere is cause like Disney's like, eh, it, it's just, it's not even in the Disney vault. It's just sort of collecting dust somewhere because so much of what makes a Disney movie great is that they have these locked in themes that they nail and they work, you know, they, they can be something like Snow White. It could be something like Cinderella, like that are, that are decades old, or it can be something brand new with like Pixar. And they all work really well, whatever era, because they resonate with kids, they resonate with adults because they're just, yeah. they're, they're great themes. They're, they're fantastic storytelling, like simple, but effective storytelling. And this film just, eh, it just feels like there's maybe some cool ideas that they didn't have the courage to go with or just didn't fully flesh out. And it just, it falls really flat for me overall. It's not a bad movie. Like I didn't hate watching this. It just, I just didn't feel much watching this no and it, for a movie that has such difficult topics um and like a difficult like core to it you're right it doesn't leave you feeling much and it doesn't stick with you in in like a memory kind of way like you're not going to really sit there and think of anything from this movie that's not in the trailer like it, right. the, the, it's the most important parts of this movie are 100% just the clips from the trailer. And once you've watched that, you're good. Like, you don't need more. And I think you're right. When you talk about the things that kind of stick out, like, I was thinking about movies I watched as a kid that still emotionally resonate with me. And the first thing that came to mind is not baseball-related at all, but it's The Incredible Journey. And it's mm. about, like, the, the the pets that, like, make a cross-country journey to get home to their friend, their families, right? And... I saw on TikTok the other day because TikTok loves to play with my emotions. Um, there was like, it was like, what scene can make you cry in the span of about 30 seconds? And like, they showed the ending of one of those kids' movies about pets coming home from being lost in the wilderness. And it was like a dog limping. And I just like started bawling. And I'm like, there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing about this movie that would resonate with me that same way. Like, I don't, have, I don't like think. And with the heavy topics too, it seems like it's like a pretty much like a layup, but it, yeah. yeah. And it doesn't, I don't know that this movie really is for kids. And that's the thing. Like there's nothing in it that's like, aside from, you know, JP always spilling his food on the mm -hmm. PR guy's lap. And aside from, from that, and like maybe some sight gags with the baseball, there's nothing about it that really feels oriented to the audience that it was meant to be for. Like yeah. it's mostly built to make kids ask very difficult questions of their parents and then create this kind of weird faith-based discussion on top of that. And it's, it's hard. I, I had a really hard time kind of snapping. Like we, we had these very uh, sad and tragic overtones really. And then I had a hard time snapping into this fantastical world where 
angels are in the outfield. You know, like there was they they kind of all just blended together and it didn't really work. Uh, and yeah, I I like the, when this movie ended, I was just sad, not because it wasn't a great movie, but because it was just a really sad movie. You know what would have made it better if we wanted to across all the kind of ideas of this, if one of the angels had been Roger's mom. And the lesson that we got from that was her teaching him that it's okay to let go of the idea of family as he believed in it. And that family can be found right where you least expect it. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, you could have that schmaltzy line where she's the one at the end of the game with Al kind of telling him that, you know, we can't always be there. We can't always, but we find homes for people and you can find your home right here. Um, and, you know, have the big moments and have him and, and JP and George create this new family. And I think that that would make it more rewarding that Roger has been able to say goodbye to his dad and that idea mm. of family as he knew it and really like usher in this new chapter in his life. And that would have been such a minor change. It would have given us characterization of one of the angels. Mm-hmm. It would have had a direct tie-in impact. And I think it would have like been that bit of a gut punch. Like, cause it was very clear, like that the angels were different people. They were male, female, like they, they had looks. And, and I feel like that would have been a great way to like pull some extra tears out of you. Cause mm-hmm. it, he would have, you know, been able to say goodbye to her and been like, you know, you know, whatever part of that. But I think that that would have worked better. I, yeah, I think that that would have been a, really good change like a really good small change and yeah i mean i think the the not being for kids thing kind of i think it does i think that's true um it, the problem is then it just isn't really for anybody, for anybody. because adults and don't like it but like unlike unlike rookie of the year i don't feel like these like joseph gordon levitt does a great job and i think jp is a really cute kid but they're just like on the sidelines they're not doing anything and they're not affecting anything they don't really do like they are just window dressing for the adults. Whereas like in a movie like Rookie of the Year or in a movie like uh, The Sandlot or the little bit like Little Big League, there's like the kids are doing something. They are actively involved or they are going on adventures. There is nothing that Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt sees stuff happen, tells people that something is happening, but he doesn't do anything. He doesn't affect anything. He can't control the angels. He can't even get them to do what he wants them to do. It's just, he's just a passive observer. And I think that really hurts it because you're just sort of like, I think that's where it's like, is this a kid's movie or is this just like a really dumbed down, like schmaltzy drama? Like, yeah, you, you know, what I mean? and that's it's it doesn't what is it? Who is it for? And what is it going for? You're right, because for a kid's movie to work, I think what they need is an insert character. They need somebody mm-hmm. in that movie that they can see themselves as. Um, and I, I think that works really well in Rookie of the Year because Henry is just a normal kid. He's klutzy. He's bad at baseball mm-hmm. and something very simple happens to him and that he breaks his arm. And it's not magical abilities. It's just a weird quirk of luck. And suddenly he's got these abilities. So any kid watching that could go, well, that could be me. I could have that happen to me. And I, I'm bad at baseball, but 
one thing can change the course of your whole life. And it's the same way with Sandlot, right? Because Smalls is your main character and it's the same idea is that he doesn't know anything and he still finds this ragtag group and they bring him in and it's, you know, Benny is an idolized character. Like he's mm-hmm. not, he's not your root core connector character. And I think you're right is that there's these kids, but they're sidelined and no kid is going to look at this movie and be like, I want to be like the children in foster care. Like they're not, <laughs> I'm sorry, but they're not going to look at that. And and maybe if a kid in that system is watching it, then great. He can connect to that and be like, okay, but where's the realism in expecting that angels are going to come and help you find your family? Like that's a very difficult concept for most viewers to latch on to. Unless, unless you have a kid that's biggest dream in life is to be a tiny terror to character actor Taylor Negron. This movie doesn't work for any children, I don't think. But if it, if you do have a kid whose biggest dream in life is to be a small terror to Taylor Negron, wow, what a, we've, what a we've niche got topic the that we have. Wow, Disney really made a movie for that person. Let's never tell that child that Taylor Negron is dead and (laughs) kill their childlike dreams. Uh, We're going to take one more quick break. And when we get back, we'll kind of talk about our final thoughts on the movie. And if we have a player that we would take uh, for the race, if. (laughs) All right. So we've just about finished talking you know, smack about this movie. Um, I don't think by any stretch of the imagination, it's the worst baseball movie we've watched. I don't think it's the best, obviously. I think that's pretty clear in our assessment of it. I don't think it's the worst kids baseball movie we've watched. Um, But I do like to believe on a fundamental level that this and Air Bud's seventh inning fetch happen in the same cinematic universe. Um, Because this movie ended in such a way that they had not gone to the World Series yet. Um, And as we know from watching Air Bud, as of course, everybody who listens to our podcast went and watched Air Bud's seventh inning fetch after our glowing review. Um, Ashley, everybody's already seen it. Nobody needs to go back and watch. (laughs) They already have their VHS copies ready to go. But fired up the laser desk and at the end of the movie, um, Air Bud is playing what first base, I think, in uh, for the Angels in the World Series. So I choose to believe that once they realized that the Angels weren't there to help them um, win the games, that they're like, well, what do we do now? And called up the small town owner of a hundred different golden retrievers and said, we need your baseball dog. And that's how they won the world series. I, why not? That's a better movie. I mean, my, the, the logic is flawless <laughs> because at the end of angels in the outfield, they've just won the division. I think. Is, yeah. Because, because like the angels are help, you know, help. Yeah. So it's not all the way there. Uh, yeah, no. Well, interesting. You, I, so in this way of like bringing up Air Bud, which I feel like comes up every single time, man, Air Bud really gets a lot of play on this show. So similar to that though, Air Bud, seventh inning fetch, comes out and it ends with Air Bud, you know, going to the World Series with the Angels. The Angels go to the World Series the very next year in real life. Fun, fun thing about Angels in the Outfield, released in 1994, the Angels, the California Angels in 92, 93, and 94 are terrible. 
absolutely terrible. Really one of the worst teams there. They're like 20 games under 500 most of the years. In 1995, the following year after this movie, you have the Angels actually win. They went 78 and 67. They finished second in the AL West. Uh, so they were over 500. They actually even underperformed their Pythag by about four games. So they could have even been better. They were even better than their record showed. Uh, so an interesting thing that anytime there's an Angels movie based movie, the real life Angels do well. So I feel like somebody over at Disney needs to do something for poor Mike Trout and Shohei Otani because they need they need a cinematic boost to get them over the top because it's 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 grim over there. They need another yeah 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 Airbud or Angels maybe the crossover maybe actually maybe the they need a dead Airbud who's now become an angel to help them. <laughs> Oh no. Even as a somewhat spiritual person myself, if they've got Shohei Otani and Mike Trout and they still can't win, I don't think any div- divine intervention will be able to help this this ball club. <laughs> I'm sorry. If they can't do it now, I don't know if it's ever going to happen again for them. Oh, that's brutal. Um, but there's a no, good I, movie. The Angels come down to help and they still can't beat them. And, and Christopher Lloyd's like, I, I got nothing. This is impossible. I don't know yeah. how they do it. <laughs> They still oh, finished God. four games under 500, even with even with supernatural beings coming in and causing you know, shenanigans. You could be onto something because I did write an article for Fangraphs where I said that baseball needed more kids movies. That I think, fundamentally speaking, our generation were very much raised on these movies. Like the the best of baseball's cinematic oeuvre really did come out in the early to mid 1990s. Because that's when you had Rookie of the Year. That's when you had Sandlot. That's when you had Angels in the Outfield. You had a couple others. And we haven't had kind of like a boom in baseball movie media since then. And we really haven't had any baseball movies, period, since, what, Moneyball? Like, it's it's been... Trouble with the curve, Ashley. I refuse to acknowledge that that movie exists. Um, we had Million Dollar Arm, which I'm sure we'll get to at some we point will, yeah. uh, in this podcast. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple others, but it's really, really it's, died it's off. It's slim pickings, right? So there's not a ton to choose from. And I think it's been a really long time since baseball has kind of zeroed in on kids as the main audience. And I think that that's really, and you'll notice, I think, something really interesting. Like you talked about, Darby, like this is a very focused Angels viewpoint right and obviously Airbud got the permission of the angels as well and i think that that's really something that it kind of comes down to these movies all had a very close tie with a real team like rookie of the year was the real cubs and they really filmed a bunch of those scenes in front of cubs crowds and i bet kids in those crowds are like oh, i'm in that movie and like really feeling it to this very day and i think that baseball really does need to like get its act in in gear and say, Hey, like, how can we appeal to young kids and particularly young non-white kids about, you know, getting them enthused and, in, 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 you know, and excited and seeing themselves in the game. And I think, I don't know, it's, it, it's a shame that even though this movie isn't great, that we haven't gotten anything like it since 1994. Yeah. I, I, I do think the, and I'm wondering if just like the streaming market and like shows and things like that have just sort of made limited target 
movies just to be harder to sell to to yeah. things like widely, you know, like you can, the mid range movie is like, like completely dead in Hollywood. It's like, if it's not like a $200 million budget or a $1 million budget, like they're not producing it. So I think that's where like a lot of the kids movies kind of fall in between. You can't do it for like a micro budget horror movie, which will make its money back easily or a gigantic tentpole property. So well, it's the same way you've seen the death of the romantic comedy, like the right, right. The yeah. general, I mean, it's true is until Netflix kind of revived it. We hadn't seen a real studio rom-com in a decade. So it's, yeah. There could be a revival. We need a we need a revival, um, but maybe we'll, with a better property than Angels in the Outfield, we can find. No, can I don't think better... that we should be remaking <laughs> Angels in the Outfield by any stretch. But I think if we have like, I feel like it's a great opportunity for maybe the Astros to rebuild their image. Like, let's have some sort of an Astros themed movie. Aliens in the infield. <laughs> they come down out, from of, out of this orbit and, and they bang you know. they use their magical trash cans from mars to help <laughs> them succeed no <laughs> no but i think like i think under i feel like the rays could really benefit from having a movie randy rosarena there was one in the works apparently like in the early early stages of production that i mean i haven't heard anything about it i know with some of the you know things she was dealing yeah. with in the off season, maybe it got binned or at least stashed away in the back of a of a shell somewhere. But who knows? Maybe yeah. One day and I think something down. like that. I think you really could have those like smaller market teams benefit from finding fandom outside of their market by putting them front and center in in a movie about baseball. Like, I don't think we need to have a, the opener, the movie, like we don't need to go Moneyball with the Rays. We've done that. We've done it with the A's and it was tremendous, but you can't redo history. Right. But I think you could have like a really feel good story with the Rays as the backdrop and, and still have that bring in new fans from the outside. Like I said, I I joked when we, we did fever pitch that I almost became a Red Sox fan because of that movie because it gives you kind of an emotional tie to a team. And I think that that's something that any team should want in an era where we're trying to find new fans across the sport. I don't know. Now I'm just off on my own hill to die on (laughs) tangent because I don't want to talk about this movie anymore. I think, yeah. So now to the last thing we got to do before we get out of here is take a ball player from this. Now there is baseball in this movie, but it's all pretty goofy. It's not, there's not a lot of like good baseball. It's all very much like the wire work and special effects and kind of over the top goofiness. So there's not, and the team is super inept. So you're, you when it, before the angels take over. So it's kind of hard to pick a player that you'd want to take because most of them were terrible before divine intervention. However, as the whole whole lesson of part of the movie, at least, is that they might have something in them all along if they just believed in themselves. So, Ashley and Brett, what, which which ball player or character are you taking for the real praise? I've thought about this, and I'm cheating, and I'm taking Al. Oh, and you're taking Al, that... the head angel. <laughs> I'm taking Al. Well, that's um, a good choice. I feel like fundamentally uh, the 
the character who can most help the Rays is the one who can call forth uh, literal divine intervention at any time except for the postseason, um, which may truly not help the Rays at all because they seem to do just fine making up their own uh ways to get to the postseason and really is where we could use it is in the the short sample size of um small series but uh i'm taking al you got pretty good choice yeah i've got i've got one that it's not really baseball related um but the rays have currently on their roster and in the past as well some pretty good looking ball players we've got tyler glass now we've got kevin kiermeyer and why not add we got to look up the character's name real quick because he was that irrelevant. Ben Williams, as portrayed by Matthew McConaughey to this race. Baby Matt McConaughey, he looked really good in this movie. He made a wise choice. I think he'd sell a jersey or two. And he was, he was we don't, playing some good defense. He was playing, he's got good hustle. He's got good hustle out there. Uh, yeah. So it, these are good choices. Um, I, I'm definitely not taking um, Mel Clark. Because ancient washed up arm, uh, don't no thank you. Uh, you know, and terminally ill. You don't. You don't Ill. want a pitcher who's not going to of, die in not six a lot of years of control. Story. Not a lot of years of control left. Not um, that the Rays really. You just give him whatever contract he wants. Just backload it. <laughs> oh yeah, the Rays really don't care so much about contract length. I think we can yeah. safely say. There like, you go. If we, you can, we really just need get a stopgap. He can be the middle innings guy. I, I'm not going to take George Knox because I think he's a terrible manager. Yeah. Uh, at one point, he brings in somebody who was both at, on the IR at the time uh, and when not warmed up into a yeah. into a game. So that's horrible and illegal managing. Um, so definitely not him. Uh, I don't think... Taylor Negron's character was the best publicist. So I'm not going to take him. The obviously all of our broadcast team, as well as radio are phenomenal and way better than uh, uh, evil universes. Michael K. So definitely not him. Uh, Danny Hemmerling tiny doesn't seem like he has a lot of tools. No, thank you. Uh, <laughs> honestly, this is a atrocious team filled with terrible. What the catcher, has some power, but he's morbidly obese. Can't like there is a certain point where it's like good body, bad body, what doesn't really matter. I'm not trying to sell jeans, but like, good lord. Like, you know, I don't think I saw a lot of pitch framing there. Um, I think I'm going to t- going to take of these characters, uh, Neil McDonough's Wit Bass, who is a maybe mentally unstable person, but that works as a pitcher. And I just he was not very good as a starting pitcher. However, with all those quirks, that feels, that screams to me, bullpen. And I feel like if any team can take a weird person and make them into something in the bullpen, it's the Rays. So give me old blue eyes, Neil McDonough, Whit Bass. Yeah, he and uh, Pete Fairbanks can have a good time being weirdos in the bullpen. Absolutely. Weirdos with crazy eyes. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And Matt Whistler. (laughs) They just like crazy eye stare off. We're all three. Oh, God. Ah, it's a solid choice. I like that you really walked us through that. Um, terrible. Every... It's, all, it's a terrible <laughs> choice. This is like lowest down. I would rather take in a couple more characters from Air Bud, uh, throw in there. Tammy, like, give Tammy, me Tammy every time. Air like, <laughs> but I'll, if I'm Tammy's our catcher of the future. Get, get with Bass. Amazing. 
All right. Well, uh, with that, I think we have firmly placed this one right in the middle of the pile of trash that we have watched um, for this. If you have fond childhood memories of watching Angels in the Outfield, um, do not watch it as an adult. Not that you could if you wanted to, um, because truly media has swept this wildly under the rug. Um, but if you have a library card and are ever so willing, uh, you might get lucky like I did and get it for free. Well, I, I think when people search Angels in the Outfield now on the internet and trying to watch it, the only thing that's going to come up is, is this podcast. That's good. <laughs> well, we've talked you out of that decision now. You can, re- point, we can so. relive it through us. Yeah. So you're welcome. We're sorry. Your childhood is never safe with this podcast. Um, we do have our next episode planned, so we will not be seeking the advice of the internet, though this is one that comes up frequently when we ask for it. Um, so in the coming weeks, you will probably hear us discuss, uh, the Kevin Costner, not so classic, uh, for love of the game, which I believe completes his baseball trifecta of the trilogy, the unofficial Kevin Costner baseball trilogy. Um, we have not discussed either Bull Durham or um, Field of Dreams. Oh, they feel like, guys, I hate to do it. One of these days, I think we might need to talk about Field of Dreams, which uh, is not, it's not the, well, anyway, I have opinions. Next, next year, in honor of the next Field of Dreams game, we can, yeah, we can. We did it. miss a golden opportunity there, but we will. Um, so with that, uh, we, we thank you for, you know, muddling through the crap with us. And uh, always look forward to suggestions from you for next watches because God knows there's more of these out there. Um, so from the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network, this has been Who's On Worst. I'm your host, Ashley. Darby Robinson, Brett Rutherford, we send you thanks and good viewing. <laughs>